Battleline Podcast. As always, guys, thank you so much for checking us out. Every Monday, we have new episodes, and every week on Battleline Podcast, myself, Ian Scotto, and Chris Peranto, we interview different members of the special operations military community and beyond that. Uh, this week, we have a very special guest, and that's none other than a great friend of mine, a guy I'm, uh, I say it in the interview because I conducted it already, but a guy I'm very privileged and proud to call a good friend, James Smokey West, Jim West, Green Beret, martial arts expert. You're going to love this. We get into some very deep stuff and uh, and some great topics, and we get into his new book as well, audiobook, which I got to do the audio for, and uh, it's doing very well. So before we get into everything, May is actually Mental Health Month, and I want to take a moment to talk about my journey and share my story. Actually, if you look my name up on YouTube, uh, you'll find that I, I did a video quite a few years back about mental health. And oddly enough, before Chris and I had any intention of doing a podcast together or anything like that, he's a guy who really inspired me talking about his own mental health journey. And it kind of got me through some tougher times in my life that I speak about in that video. Uh, for example, he talks about when he was at an airport and he was in like a very dark state. Um, you've heard him often talk about on the show how going through media and, and doing a lot of media day in and day out was was very draining on him. And it was something he didn't want to do anymore. And, and at the very worst part, didn't want to be here anymore. And just some woman stopping him at the airport and saying, hey, are you uh, are you Tonto? Are you Chris Peranto? He's like, yeah, I am. And she said, hey, keep keep speaking your truth. Keep uh, going out there and, and, you know, telling us what, what happened. And that really changed him and changed his perspective. But I know he went through other trials and tribulations, and it's kind of a, a never-ending thing, unfortunately. I think you you get to a certain point where you've had better mental health, and then you stumble. And and the the important thing I think is to have resources that are that are going to get you through those slumps. And for me, Ned has been one of those resources for sure. In the spirit of Mental Health Month. I want to tell you guys about my favorite product for relieving stress and anxiety, and that's Ned's Distress Blend. This is a USDA-certified organic formula that puts the spotlight on two powerful cannabinoids, CBG, which is known as the mother of all cannabinoids because of how effective it is in combating anxiety and stress by inhibiting the reuptake of GABA, the neurotransmitter responsible for stress regulation, and of course, the tried-and-true CBD extracted from the world's purest full-spectrum hemp in the foothills of the Colorado Rockies. So invest in yourself and fortify your stress response this month, and you're going to get 15% off Ned's Distress Blend when you use the code BATTLELINE at checkout. Go to helloned.com slash BATTLELINE or enter BATTLELINE at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Battleline to get 15% off. HelloNed.com slash Battleline. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. And we're going to have, as I take a sip of my green tea here, we're going to have uh, Rhett and Adrian coming on the show very soon. So if you have any questions about CBD, we're going to go deep into it. We're, we're going to talk all about CBD from it's early stages to what they're doing now, how it's innovated, and and also, of course, the products out there, how to navigate what's what's good and what's not. So if you have any questions about CBD, if you're on the fence a little bit, shoot us over an email, battlelinepodcast at gmail.com, 
And uh, I'm sure Rhett and Adrian will be happy to answer any of those questions for you. Also, this show is sponsored by Bubs Naturals, my favorite supplement, their collagen protein. Now, you might be asking yourself, what is collagen? Collagen is the most abundant protein in the human body. It is literally the glue that holds our bodies together. Collagen is a blend of highly functional amino acids found in all of the body's connective tissue. So they cycle cowhide, they upcycle cowhide that would be wasted by leather tanneries, and they use that hide from pasture-raised and grass-fed cows. An enzyme bath breaks down the hide into molecules and boosts the amino acid profile, and the collagen is agglomerated and hydrolyzed into a powder. So they stand alone as single-sourced and certified flavorless collagen protein that you can mix with anything. That's why it's great. Put it in any drink. And Bubs is the highest quality for superior solubility. They are single sourced. They don't buy from multiple sources and mix together. They're they're, they don't compromise their quality as other brands do. And they're the only 100% NSF for sport certified brand. After your early 20s, collagen production declines every year. And collagen is critical to the support and reconstruction of joints it supports gut health and muscle recovery and promotes healthy skin, hair, and nails. I know for me, I'm constantly getting haircuts, constantly cutting my uh, my nails, and it lets me know that I'm healthy. And also, my workout recovery has never been been, been better. So check them out, guys. BubsNaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off and uh, also... They give back with every purchase to the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation, which helps special operations, military families in need. Check them out. Once again, guys, bubsnaturals.com. You're going to get the best deal when you use our promo code BATTLELINE for 20% off. Without further ado, Special Forces legend, James Smokey West. From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City, from planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space, a podcast with no equal, engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dead for a long time. <laughs> You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. podcast back on the show james smoky west my good friend jim west first time we're doing a video episode and of course uh martial artist green beret author of a mind for the fight an evolutionary mindset and systems focused approach towards a unified skill set for self-defense street survival and combat sports excellence with justin mccauley 
And it's been a long time in the making of getting the audiobook, even though you know I really completed doing the audiobook about a year ago, but we were back in touch and this thing is finally out, getting a great response. And uh, it was the number one new release on Amazon under martial arts. So I'm just I'm excited to see people checking it out and uh, and getting to hear you know me doing the audiobook. The book's been out a while. Yeah, no, I like to, um, you, you know, I got a lot of response. I got a, a whole lot of response, you know, like phone calls, personal phone calls from friends of mine, and, uh, former Special Forces Green Bay, uh, you know, from the special ops community, which was kind of surprising because uh, I got a lot of, uh, a lot of response uh, from that. In terms of martial arts, I was out in California recently uh, at Bob Wall, you know, he's the bad guy in all the Bruce Lee movies. He passed recently. And uh, uh, so we we were doing a, a celebration life, Wesley Snipes, all kinds of people were there. Uh, and, of course, Jimmy Hartley runs a, a huge martial arts organization with some others. And they put the word out. So, you know, both in, in both communities and then random people we, I don't know, you know, just uh, interested in self-defense and martial arts also uh, so it really created quite a community uh, outreach i guess yeah i put up the picture as well when you sent it to me like you meeting wesley snipes and uh, <laughs> if you check out the last episode with with jim and justin mccauley from a while back from over a year ago yeah, you spoke about getting bob wall on the podcast which would have been incredible and then sure enough you know the guy's getting older and we do know he passed away but I'd love to hear about that experience of like meeting Wesley Snipes and the impact that this guy had on on the martial arts community at large. Well, you know, actually, the 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 whole group, you know, even his daughters, uh, Kara and Shannon Wall, uh, have, have the whole family has a big impact. And then uh, John Paul DiGiorgio, he was a big big you know, uh, act a lot of the martial arts. Joe Corley, all this family community was there. The Machados. Uh, it was truly amazing, you know, and, and Wesley Snipes, you know, more through the Hollywood uh, aspects. I mean, truthfully, back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, uh, when, when the, they had a different kind of racism in Hollywood, uh, like Bruce Lee was coming along and they didn't want to give him a shot because he was Asian. Well, so basically, Bob said, kind of screw it and gave up his 1500 bucks or 15,000 bucks, whatever it was, a week, and uh, took off to uh, China with uh, Bruce Lee, and they, they shot the uh, Edward Dragon, all the other movies there. And that's how Jackie Chan got his started, started back. So, you know, just the, the impact of Bob Wall himself is pretty amazing. You know, and it, once you meet these people, and uh, you know, they find out that you're one of the guys that's beloved by him, enough to be invited to his uh, family's uh, celebration life. But, you know, really, the, the word got out quickly that there was uh, an audible book coming out now. So, yeah, it's a lot of help. Yeah, and I, I think the reason that connection was able to be made, too, is you, we've spoken about it on previous shows, but I think it's fair to say you are one of the OGs of martial arts in the United States. It was not... It, it was not what it is today where you see a dojo on every corner and even, you know, below my apartment, there's a, there's a karate school and, and everywhere you go, no matter what state you're in, uh, you see everything from Brazilian jiu-jitsu to traditional Japanese jiu-jitsu, uh, karate, taekwondo. And I know enough to know that, you know, even when I was younger, it wasn't what it is today. But when you were first coming up, it was pretty much unheard of, right? 
Oh yeah, it was hard to hard to find in the beginning. You know, it's like some mystical. Like my first form of martial arts was Tai Chi Tuan Wushu, and you know, all the hand movements and breathing exercises, which are valuable. But to find the teachers out of yeah, I was I was actually uh, in Germany at the time. I met a guy from Landover, Maryland, that kind of introduced me. Uh, in 1975, uh, it was pretty big in Europe. They had the uh, European internationals in Berlin. I went. Then, that's when I met like uh, Joe Lewis. Well, he wasn't there, but I met uh, Bill Superfoot Wallace, uh, Heidi Ochai, some of the big names within the industry, because kickboxing was just becoming popular, you know, in, the, in America. So I liked it so much. I go, well, let me get out because we were working out in basketball courts, gyms. You know, there weren't really a school anywhere. So. I took a break in the service. I went to Richmond, Virginia. I'm driving around. I want to fight. I want to learn more, you know, the kickboxing aspects. And I saw a sign. It was uh, American kickboxing. Okay, whatever that is. So I stopped, and it was really a, a, a garage on the end of a small strip mall, a room just a little bit bigger than this. Some guys were, you know, beating the crap out of each other. Back then, they. They didn't even have all the safety equipment. It's a lot of bare knuckle stuff. Um, so I walked in and they greeted me with a couple of black eyes and, you know, come on in and get started. And I'm sparring with a guy named Keith Haithlick on day one. I had no idea who he was. And Keith Haithlick was at the current, he was the current United States professional light heavyweight kickboxing champion in America. And I just walked right in with no real, you know, I had street experience. And I had some kung fu because different than sports kickboxing, you know, so I jumped on, I just jumped on board and boom, I was incoming, you know, a bunch of kicks and stuff. And, uh, of course I held my own. Uh, in fact, I, to my knowledge, I have the only black belt ever issued by uh, Keith Hayford. He passed away in 85. But, uh, so, you know, you, you pay your dues and just to be involved with the American karate at that level, Joe Lewis, in fact, he's acknowledging the book is writing. Yep. The there we go. 23 technical. Hey, hold it up, man, for more people because we oh. finally have videos. So that's it. Yeah. That's the book. That's the book. <laughs> right. So, yeah, now now it's on Kindle. You can buy it like this and you can hear the great voice. I always uh, joke with uh, with you, Ian, about you have the perfect voice, you know, so. Uh, Thank you, man. And now I'm and now I'm on this microphone, which makes the voice sound even greater. But no, I, I appreciate it. And um, and and also, I mean, when you asked me to do the audiobook, for one, it was an honor. But I'm never going to match the voice of Jim. I'm not from Georgia. I'm from New York, so it's a definitely a different style. But I tried to, you know, capture who you were. And I think a, a normal voice actor doesn't know you. And I've known you for all these years, and and you know, did my best to capture that coming from from my voice with this book. And I don't think I've ever asked you, and I don't know if it was covered in the book. Did, did martial arts for you become before special forces or did that come after? Oh, before special forces. Yeah. Uh, a good 10, 12 years before I ever entered into special forces. Yeah. So you must've been like a young teenager, right? Yeah. That was, uh, there wasn't much to do back in the days. We didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones. We <laughs> So, you know, it was a, you're either all in or all out in terms of fighting. There was a lot of fighting going on. And then, of course, at the, at the end of the late 60s, there was, a, you know, America was in turmoil, you know, with, uh, you, you know, the, 
all the all the riots and stuff like that that were going on in, in high school. So this, you know, some of the story, one of the stories, I guess, first uh, intro, my intro is talks about high school. You know, uh, when my uh, principal suspended me, but uh, applauded me at the same time for holding my ground. You know. Yeah. But it was a lot different back then. Even the safety equipment. When I started training, they just come out with this stuff called safety kick and safety punch. And uh, one of my buddies says, oh, man, he puts some on his feet. He goes, wow, this is like Cadillacs on my feet, you know, because it wasn't bare knuckle anymore. The, the thing about this book is I feel like you and, and Justin McCauley writing from your perspective with you really had to dig back into a, a different part of your life, a part of your life that's almost like dead and gone in a lot of ways, because the guy that I know that that I've spoken to the getting into bar fights and, and that type of stuff that was a major part of your life has been history. You know, the, the, the book spans from the first early bar fights all the way to the final one at Applebee's, which maybe we can get into. But ever since then, I, I know from your perspective, it, you're done with that. You work a pretty normal corporate job, I guess you would say. You work on all these other endeavors, whether it's writing, whether it's putting out videos like you have for years on martial arts or developing uh, different multi-tools, developing different weapons. Um, you've always had your hand in a lot of different stuff. But you really had, I think, to dig back into all these decades past and, and relive these experiences that are you know, long gone from you and is no longer really you. You still have the love of fighting, but you're not you're not getting involved in fights. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I mean, things in their life happen that uh, you have to, you know, like in our corporate office, they have this lane model where it says plan, do, check, adjust, right? So life is a lot like that. You, you know, you plan your life, and if it's not panning out, the, you know, the successes or the way that you envisioned it, then you have to, you know, you have to do something different. So you start making adjustments. Of course, you know, you, you never change who you are in your core. I mean, if I were to get jumped today in the street, I'm sure that part of me would just come to life really quick. So I don't think, I think it's gone, but it's not dead and gone. Does that make sense? Yeah, um, it does. You know, it's a matter of uh, using your intellect uh, to uh, e even how you engage with people, right? So sometimes people still get angry at you and they want to try to intimidate you. And I've noticed the further north you get in America, Northeast, uh, the more aggressive people could become sometimes as a way of life. And, you know, I've made those adjustments, so I'm not so easily offended. And instead of thinking about taking things personally anymore, I look at the 
situation. I evaluate where I'm at, what, you know, whose, whose house I'm in, in terms of area location and, and what the environment really is. Cause, and, and I think when I was younger, I never evaluated the environment so much. It was just really personal to me. You know, and I, now, what's more personal is being able to uh, outthink guys. I, I, you may have heard me say it before, you know, some of these young guys get a little excited. And, oh, I'll whoop your ass or whatever, right? That kind of thing. And, uh, you, you know, so I, I came up with this. What I said was, uh, well, you have to think about what you're doing. You know, if, uh, if you whoop my ass, you only whooped an old man's ass. And if uh, I whoop your ass, and the old man whooped yours, it seems like it's a lose-lose situation, right? So in a way, it's kind of funny because um, a lot of guys, you just talk them down in that situation. But they don't they don't see the value in it any longer. You know, where when I was younger, I was you know, pounding my chest, and all the young guys, you know, like playing king in a mountain, wanted to try me all the time. So it was just a different mindset back then, which was good. To a point, I mean, I got a lot of damage, a lot of scars and stuff these days, but uh, it allowed me to be able to live long enough to produce uh, good fight strategies, good information. And, and the book itself isn't about just martial arts and how to train, but it's, if you take the system approach, you can change your whole life. And uh, uh, it, it sort of falls in line with, with the uh, Japanese Kaizen, which is loosely translated as uh, continuous improvement so you can improve your whole life if you really dig into this book and, and start figuring out how, how to, beyond the stories and how the book can, and works works with the toolboxes and all yeah the interesting thing i have to say about this book you know and i got to read it of course cover to cover and really absorb it and, and get into each of these stories is i have to ask you this every single <laughs> <laughs> is I've I've this brewing in my head, but like every single fight that you get into, there's someone else who seems to instigate something with you that that sparked that in you to actually get, get out there and fight someone. I have to ask, how realistic is that? Because I feel like none of these stories you flat out say, I was the aggressor, I started this fight. Were there any fights that you could honestly say you were the aggressor, or were people just always looking to try you? Because that's kind of the theme of the book that everybody is looking to test you in some way. I, even to this day, I'm not the aggressor. Yeah, I never have been. I just, but I, I don't give up uh, any ground at the same token. You know, you, you have to figure out within yourself, you know, but, and back then I was, had a lot more adrenaline flowing through my body and I'm drinking all the time. And, you know, I was still in the, you know, special operations community doing my thing so well. It was just a lot of pride, a lot of machismo and, and that, that whole culture of, especially areas like Fort Bragg, Panama, wherever I was stationed. Uh, just, you know, we're always trying each other out in that hand-to-hand -hand pitch, sometimes in the barrack hall, barracks hallways. It's just constant learning and pressure. And then when you get out in public and somebody bumps into you, instead of going, oh, yeah, I, he's just drunk, it's like you just tighten up on him. And maybe instantly a lot of these guys, when they realize that uh, – they might be the underdog straight up front. Uh, I'm I got hit first. And generally with an inanimate object like a beer bottle. Hope that you guys are enjoying this interview with the legendary Jim West, James Smokey West. Uh, as you can tell, Chris Peranto is not here with me, but that's because as you're hearing this, myself and Chris have probably just got done 
with the actual course at Fort Scott for the grand opening of the Fort Scott Munitions slash Battleline Tactical Training Facility. I'm sure I had a blast. I'm sure you'll hear all about it next week on the show. Um, but we always have to talk about Fort Scott Munitions. They've been with us since the very beginning, and they are the best ammo on the planet. Fort Scott Munitions is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact, TUI, their trademark, in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. This ammo was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammo outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC-spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring they receive the same results with each pull of the trigger. Fort Scott Munitions is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states. You're going to want to go to their website, click on the dealer locator, type in your zip code, and you're going to find uh, you're going to find a dealer near you in every state, even uh, here in Connecticut, even in New York. You're going to find a dealer that has Fort Scott ammunition. And every now and again on their website, they also sell in bulk, which get on that, get on their mailing list because they have great deals. And then you can even use are 15% off on that. And sometimes you're saving upwards of hundreds of dollars. It's awesome. So uh, yeah, check them out, fortscottmunitions.com. And as always, remember, you know, spell it munitions, not ammunition, F-O-R-T-S-C-O-T-T-M-U-N-I-T-I-O-N-S.com. Link is right there in the description. Use the exclusive promo code BATTLELINE for 50 for 15% off your order only available to listeners of the Battleline podcast. Use exclusive promo code Battleline for 15% off your order. Only available to listeners of the Battleline podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline podcast. Also, we're talking ammo. We're talking guns. We got to talk some night vision, baby. Photonis Defense is the global leader in night vision solutions, providing more high-quality night vision capabilities than anyone. Hunters, shooters, boaters, and outdoor enthusiasts rely on Photonis Defense systems to make their adventures uh, safer and more successful. Military, law enforcement, and public safety end users utilize Photonis Defense solutions to give them the edge at night in tactical situations and rescue operations. Photonis Defense is now offering state-of-the-art night vision systems from the PD-Pro-B 16mm binocular and the PD-Pro-M 16mm monocular to the PD-Pro-Q panoramic night vision system. Customers from all over are excited about these new, smaller, lighter NVGs. You've got to see these things to really experience how much smaller and lighter they are than anything you have used previously. We've had guys on the show like Justin Sheehan and Phil Otto, special operations guys, former CIA contractors who can tell you flat out, this is the best night vision on the market. So whatever you are, if you're a hunter, shooter, military, we've even had border patrol reach out. You're going to want to check them out. It's Photonis Defense, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-S defense.com for more information or Look for Photonis Defense product options from your night vision dealer. And now back to our interview 
with the one and only Jim West. Yeah, and there's a lot there's a lot of that in this book. The thing about this book for people who are going to pick it up or do the audio book, uh, check that out, is this is very this is not your average martial arts book where it's going to give you some of these skills that that are dangerous but not lethal. In in the circumstances you're in, the whole book is basically these are things that you're going to use in a scenario where if you absolutely have to kill or be killed type of thing that there are no rules. This is as dirty street fighting as it gets. Yeah, well, a lot of thought went into the book. <clears throat> it actually was a spinoff. Um, I've already written the, probably 98% of a, an autobiography. And it's been sitting in the bookshelf for a long time, never published. And it's just it's difficult to put your whole life out there, right? And, I, so many people ask me so many questions about why to, why to throw a punch this way or why do this, you know, why things change. And as you get older, of course, you have to adjust to your own injuries and your own ailments and stuff. So uh, it's constantly evolving in, in terms of how to train. And then within corporate America itself, I, I, and I don't even know if I explained this to you, you know, we use the system-focused approach where it's got the you know, the mechanical, technical, and development, right? Well, this the system-focused approach has actually been around a lot longer, and now corporate America is branding it under different names. And then put it, so I started seeing these relationships. And, and then I started thinking, well, this is what I've always done. So it's nothing new here. It just needs to be explained a little better. And, and of course, Bob Wall was sort of a, a very good friend and a mentor to me. And I was talking about how do I get to the end of this book as I was writing it. And I was just killing Justin, you know, just, Justin, I need this. Put the right words in. That's not the way I talk, you know. And and so we got it where it it, it reads like who I am. And uh, as I was getting through all this, I was talking to Bob one day. I was sitting in my car out in Coney Island and, I said, I don't know what to do. I want to put some fight stories in there, but I don't want to make it about me, if that makes any sense. And it was funny because Bob, Bob, he's been involved with, he was in the military way back when. It was Chuck Norris, a business partner forever and all that. He uh, very, very instrumental in the whole fight game as far as uh, get, getting it out to the public that there's something else out there. So, And we were talking, and he said, well, you know, Jim, all that technical data that you're putting in the book is great and it's perfect and people need to know it. He said, but when they read your book, they're not going to remember all that stuff. He says, they, they'll always remember the stories. Yeah. And so that, that's why I put the after actions and I didn't put down, you know, because a lot of guys are writing a little fight story, but they, they don't say what they were doing wrong. Yeah, every single chapter has a formula to it where you're saying like, this is what I got right. This is what I got, got wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They call it AAR after actions report. It's not big or great, but uh, it's the way uh, I felt like business should be done, you know, because like you said, it, it seemed like I was always being attacked. I mean, a big part of that was just being in the wrong place at the right time, you, you know, because what I'm doing, drinking, I'm, I know better. I should go home. And be peaceful. Mind my own business. Work out. Just you know, watch a movie, right? Uh, but uh, back then, like I said, it was more personal. I was just anxious to see who was next. But even though 
I didn't come out looking for a fight. I sure didn't run from any. <laughs> well, I know I know you're a more because you wrote another book that gets into this. You are a spiritual guy. You are someone who believes in a higher power, and, and I do think part of it is that there, there is some of that. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the world board, but but I think there's some of that. I guess divine intervention, where if you're yeah, if if you're someone out there looking for fights, God, that's exactly what God is going to kind of hand you, right? And if you're someone who's not looking for that, maybe you're not going to get into those situations. Yes, yeah, you know they call that manifest destiny. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think if uh, you continually put yourself in this, the right situation, you're going to get exactly what you know you're looking for. And the, the thing is, is you're not always going to get the exact outcome you're looking for. And that's the part that people don't uh, visualize. Uh, how many times, Ian, do you hear somebody like, oh, it can't happen to me? Sure. And they're next in line. I, you, know, uh, it, you know, obviously, that's near and dear to my heart because my oldest son, you know, his situation, he was sure. murdered 19 years ago. And he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Chasing the girl, macho, he was all into it, you know. No, nobody's going to tell him no. And uh, that runs strong in my DNA. You know, I, I come from a whole family of pretty rough people for generations. Uh, a lot of people don't see that when they see me in the streets, but you know, I don't, once again, put myself out there. And I try to deliberately avoid those situations these days, which, by the way, Ian, I have to tell you, it's, the way our, you know, this soft phone crime and people are getting out of jail faster than the police report can be filed. And for some reason, our own, every neighborhood, I mean, even in Beverly Hills, I follow these rich people home and robbing, stealing their cars. and robbing. It's just getting so dangerous now in so many places because, you know, suddenly our opinions become more than opinions to the guy down the street. And frankly, yeah. if you can't afford the rent or food, you know, the, the violence will always increase. So even though I'm trying, I, I stay at home more than ever and I pick and choose my routes, but I do have to be on the subway sometime. I do have to walk down New York City Street. You probably do too. But at that point in time, my head's on a swivel. And when I go train, I'm always thinking to myself, you know, like trying to re recreate some of the ideas like what happened uh in some of the system failures in, in within the book itself and the after actions like so i'm very cautious about not putting myself back into that same situation i know i'm gonna do whatever it takes to survive and these days i think you'll just be put under the jail if, if you get carried away you know even though you try not to yeah yeah and, and i think someone from your background if you are out on the subway as you're saying and you know, we have a mutual friend, Dave Park, who does the team house with Jack. And yeah, he he was jumped on the subway, just minding his own business, reading a book. I'm sure you heard about that whole story. Yeah, he, he, I saw him shortly after, if you remember. He was brutally beaten. I mean, how, 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 what were his injuries overall? Because I know it was uh, significant. He's, if he wasn't such a tough guy and didn't have his own protocols, his own workout, in my opinion, it might not be here today. You know, you know condition has a lot to do with it too. Yeah, I originally heard stuff about brain damage, and I was worried about what he would be, you know, look like coming back. But the last time I saw him, he looks exactly the same. Thank God. 
just a little older. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I was expecting to see him, you know, much worse because, as you said, it was a brutal attack. It was someone, it seems like, not just looking to rob, but looking to kill in that situation. Yeah. One of the things, I just was flipping through the pages, like in the book, and, you know, you got the pleasure. God knows how many times you had to read it to get five and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, but I was looking at this thing where my hand is. It's talked about crashing the party. Yeah, yeah, I remember so, that. Yeah. You know, for me, I've always used that term because a fight is generally is just a bunch of chaos. So obviously you have to be able to you know, control your breathing, control your adrenaline flow. People say, oh, how do you do that? It's impossible when you're under stress. But you got to know how to manage that stress under 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 fire, you know. And, and if everything's all messed up and you're getting beat, if you use what I call crashing the party, you can disrupt everything they're thinking and doing, and buy yourself some time, maybe an escape route, or you know, you have to uh, fight back and give you an opportunity to open a few doors for success. So. Yeah. You know what I was going to ask you when, when people see, as you were saying, what you do now in the corporate world and how you incorporate what you do into the corporate world, into what you write. Uh, I think people may be curious about how you transitioned from that. I mean, you went from a life of everything being action packed, whether it was being a green beret in the earlier days of being a green beret, where you've spoken about before some of the brutal stuff that you had to do just in training for that. And then getting into bar fights every single night, which is documented in this book. Uh, I mean, how do you go to such a more calm, peaceful and, and corporate environment to that? Because I think a lot of the times that's why we hear guys suffer from post-traumatic stress and that type of thing. Because they go from this super high stress, super high action packed environment that in many times they love to having to work a boring desk job. And it's not conducive to their lifestyle. Wow, that's a that's a that's that's a tough question. Uh, you know, it, it's it's like when somebody asks me, "How do you control your breath when somebody's beating the hell out of you?" <laughs> it, it's it's uh, equal to that at least. And and then when you bring in the PTSD, I mean, you know, uh, full disclosure, you know, I do have combat related PTSD. And, uh, I have anxieties and nightmares like like the others do. And to your point. How, how do you not succumb to that? How do you move on through these layers that, that life throws at you? For me, it's just, uh, first of all, if I take a step back, when I left home at 17 years old, uh, I, I don't think I would have ever made it through basic training in those days. It was uh, beginning of January, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. It was 17 degrees outside. You get screamed and hollered at and physical Hazing was actually legal and encouraged. You get tossed around a bit and done a bunch of dumb things. You know, Vietnam was in full swing back in those days. All of your drill instructors were uh, former combat veterans that had probably been injured or wounded, and they came up in a different era completely. And uh, they didn't want you to, you know, fall victim. It was tough, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but you know, the only reason I never quit because I thought about it each and every day. Because I didn't want to go home, a failure, right? So it, it really gets back into your core of, to me, life is survival, right? So as you, you know, when I when I retired out of the out of the military, I didn't even know I had these problems uh, because I never slowed down, and I 
stayed awake all the time. I was still out in the streets and I was training fighters and I was putting them on uh, the UFC in the early days and I was putting them on HBO heavyweight after dark boxing, kickboxing, you know, Valley Tudo, Battle of Atlanta, Point Fight, you know, Dale Comstock, you know, uh, Stevie Graham, you know, all these guys, Judy Mayron. I was, I was training premier fighters and I, I, you know, I was just, like I said, I, I let my pride outthink everything else back in those days. And like I said, the biggest thing is people that have this combat related stress. And I would imagine that this would be true about females or males that have been, you know, abused and raped as kids and stuff like that, or throughout their early life that, that they learn to survive too. And they live on the fringes all the time. There's no calm space in the middle. So, you know, if you take the beginning and the end of what you live through each and every day, the flashbacks, the dreams, the depressions, all the stuff that goes with it, you know, I look at it like this. If, if, if this is one of those extremes, and if I stop or slow down, this, this, the rest of your life is just going to compress. It could, uh, it could, you could spin out and maybe uh, become suicidal or even homicidal. You know, it's just, uh, it's, it's really, really bad stuff, you know, that can catch up to you if you're not careful. And uh, I've always been a protector of people by nature. I think most military guys, I like to believe they are, you know, they're serving and they're, they're the guys, even police, and, uh, EMTs and EMS, and they'll run into the fire instead of wait. You always hear that, right? And I was that way my entire life, right up until the day that my son got killed or murdered, brutal murder. And when I was going through his uh, funeral services, uh, I looked around. His, his mother was crying. She's still crying today, 19 years later. Grandmothers crying. My family crying. Everyone. Uh, even my closest friends that showed up, they were all crushed. And I, I discovered a piece of me that's like, well, i got to take care of these people. And I never grieved during that time when we were bearing. I was trying to comfort people and help them through it. And I, not realizing that this was changing my entire life, you know, uh, later on. So several years later, and uh, I, I'll talk about it now, but, you know, I, one of the things I don't talk about and I really have is I drove to my house where my son used to live with me. And I pulled in the, uh, to the driveway and I reached under the seat. And I pulled out my uh, 357 and stuck it right in my mouth. And uh, it was like I heard a voice from heaven. Early on, he talked about spirituality and believing. It's always kind of tough, you know, because you have to deal with a lot of disappointments throughout your entire life, you know. And everything, believe you, you know as well as I do, is not going to go your way. But you make, you know, you make the best out of it. Well, when this happened, it's like I heard a voice from above, you know. And my, at that point, I started, you know, turning that ship. You know, it doesn't turn overnight. I started seeking help, you know, through the VA and other other places and outsources, the, uh, you know, getting therapy, cognitive processing therapy, and, and I started writing. Because when you go to CPT or cognitive processing therapy, you have to write all the time. And I discovered during that time uh, that writing was a release for me. Because when you write, you're never being judged. You can put anything you want on a piece of paper. You can tell your story the way you want to tell it. Sure. Unlike when we're talking, 
when people go, hey, what? What did you say? Why would you do it? You know, it's just you and a pencil and a piece of paper. It allows you the freedom to express yourself without uh, being judged. And I think being judged is part of that impact for if you're a very private person, it will set you off and maybe, in my case, get into a lot of fights or whatever I was going to talk about. I might have looked for it back in the day. But uh, as far as guys with PTSD, once I started writing, I started reaching back into my past, which is very difficult, trying to analyze. Why did I get into that? Now, I started looking. I, literally, I've been in hundreds of street fights. There's 10 in here, <laughs> right? Uh, and then I look at the broken bones, the scars, the nerve damage, the all the things that have happened through the years. And, and honestly, you know, there was a bridge I had to cross when I went to the VA, I first went in there and they told me, oh, you know, you got all these problems. Talk about the first time you ever killed somebody. And I'd go, screw you. And I just walked out. <laughs> it took a while to, to let my pride down far enough to step in there and be honest with myself. So, you know, I think when you evaluate your past, you just can't look at the good. You got to look at the bad. You got to figure out where you are today. You know, you can use, that thing we use in our corporate office, you know, plan, do, check, and adjust. Where you gotta, you got, you gotta check yourself for real, you know, because you gotta, you know, are you, you, you know, when uh, one of our good friends got married back when uh, I wrote a little thing called <laughs> Stepping Stones, right? Yep, I remember so, this. Yeah, so you know, life is like a series of stepping stones, and you just walk through these stepping stones, right? And so the way I do it is, if I get to a wall or a point where I'm not pleased or happy with myself. Now, what I do and recommend other people do is take a couple of steps back and figure out where you were and what you were thinking, you know, two stones ago or five years ago or 10 years ago. You know, the model has probably upgraded and changed. And honestly, you got to change with it, man. You know, because if you don't, you're just going to suffer a miserable existence on this planet. Yeah, a lot of people just they can't they can't uh, not look back on the past. Their whole life is looking back on the past and analyzing everything from the past. And at some point, you have to move forward from that. It's important to spend that time figuring out why you acted the way you did. But at some point, you do have to forge ahead. And and um, yes, something that you said earlier, where you said it didn't just happen overnight to make this transition. I've heard you talk about it actually from your poetry that you've written and that type of thing. Yeah, um, was that as you as you always put it i remember you you say that you went into your man cave for a few years and yeah after the death of your son you, you didn't really want to talk to anybody you isolated yourself so um for people listening they might think like right after your son died you got help wrote you know seek therapy and it seems like it was probably many years down the line it was uh probably a good five years before it started impacting and, and even you know, during the writing of, the, of this book, it, it was kind of interesting because as I got through the stories and I started reading the stories and I go, geez, I think I was drinking in every one of these fights. <laughs> so, I would think so. I mean, do you really get into like a sober bar fight? No. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> question, by the way. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know, and, and that's a great question. And, and it's weird because you know, self-discovery, I would encourage everybody, they don't have to share things with the world or even with their closest friends, but, you know, write those notes down. 
you know, write a story about something that happened. Because, and then a week later, just go back and read it out loud to yourself and start that self-discovery is like, oh my God, <laughs> I was that guy. How do I change? You know? And, uh, yeah, I, I just turned 68. I'm not too old to change. I'm still which is amazing. Yeah. Every Congrats. Day. No, it's huge. I remember when you turned 60, I've known you a long oh time. My God. You're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been that long, huh? Yeah, because I do remember that. I remember you turning 60. So, yeah. But, uh, no, you're right. I mean, I haven't lived anywhere near the type of experience that you have. We have totally different lives. My life is probably more in line, you know, with your son or or something like that from what I've seen. But, nonetheless, I do keep journals, and I have stacks and stacks of journals. And it's stuff that I'll probably, I would hope, never gets released to the public because you could write your most intra- intimate, secret things in there. And as you said, it's non-judgmental. And and for the same thing, I do think it's important. I do look back on those and I read them. And and sometimes, actually, the problem that I see is I'll say I'm in the same predicament that I was two years ago or three years ago. How do I move ahead? How do I forge past that? And, yeah, I think it's very important. I think... Um, People sometimes look at journaling as sometimes something you do as like a little kid and it's not something they do anymore. I personally bring like a, a regular traditional, um, you know, notebook wherever I'm going and I write down different notes every day. I try to put the phone away because we're constantly in front of a screen. It's nice to get away from that. If I'm reading, I like to actually read a book and not just look at it on my phone. And yeah, it's yeah. sometimes nice to spend that time and analyze some things. And I, I think time that you spend learning yourself and and trying to find solutions on your own is never time wasted and, and i think oftentimes like the solution to things are within ourselves i think god has definitely like granted us this way that we could solve things on our own and, and we know it right from wrong we know when something doesn't feel right and i know whenever for me because i've had anxiety i've had stress i talked about that earlier in the read for ned that i'm going to put in the show um, which is our CBD that that sponsors the show, that, which is great. Um, but yeah, I've I've had those types of issues, and I do notice whenever I have any type of anxiety or depression, I'm usually doing something that I'm not easy with in my life, that I morally don't sit well with, or you know, I, I think all of those those issues come when you're not being your best self and you're not doing your best at, at helping others and and just living a positive life. Yeah, you know, it's funny, you know, you talk about moral, it's difficult for guys to come by stress to separate morality from maybe some things that occurred on the battlefield. And, you know, when I when I was talking to my therapist one time, and I never share this stuff, but I will share a piece, you know, the first thing I want to ask you if you're a combat veteran is, uh, did you, uh, you know, tell me about the first time you killed somebody, you know, and that's when I just walked out. Who the, who the F are you? You don't need to get home. You can curse on here, Jim. <laughs> okay. well, you know what I mean? Just fine. Yeah. So with that said, I, uh, five years later, I was talking and they brought that up. You know, Jim, you always come in here and we talk about this and that, you know, like once a month I go in, once every two months, you know, relationship issues, your kids, your this, your that. Let's let's talk about what happened on the battlefield. Let's talk about when you killed somebody. And it dawned on me that in a lot of firefights, and the guys will attest to this, uh, that a lot of them happen at night. Not so. I don't think so. You know, I didn't spend a lot of time in the desert. I did do uh, you know, 
desert storm and that was it looked like night with all the oil wells being burst out you know all the blackness in there but uh, uh i just uh it dawned on me i was trying to talk my way through the one i'm talking about the first guy that got killed next to me and how someone his body parts just flashed on my head and face how i have these dreams jim what about you and then it dawned on me that you know, in a firefight, things happen so fast, you're not always thinking about who shot who. It's just fire maneuver, fire, 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 trying to keep your head down and keep your eyes on the point, you know. Uh, it dawned on me that, and I, I didn't even think about it until that moment, now I still do. I don't really feel a lot of guilt about too many of those things, but there was a one guy that got up to turn, I don't know if he was going to run or reposition, and Clearly, I saw shooting him in the back, and that bothers me. You know, uh, we were on some operations where eleven-year-old kid got killed. I'm going to share that with you, and that bothers me. I was on a combat dive team where we had to, on our downtime, we had to go and pick the kids up out of the Cape Fear River when they drowned down here, out of White Lake. When they, so you know, it's just women and kids and innocent people that died that you. Are exposed to those are the real tragedies that uh, sink in. Looking at dead bodies, I mean, you've seen the, uh, the the pictures online of the highway of death. I was there, I saw all those dead bodies, and I mean, thousands of them, and uh, burned to crisp. You know, people can look it up online. The highway of death. I was right in the middle of that stuff, you know, on the way out. So, uh, how do you adjust to all that? I, I think. Yeah, and I still have dreams of waking me up in the middle of the night. But I think that if, if you stay focused on, you know, a purpose, um, yeah, it doesn't have to be great. You know, nobody has to be great. Uh, just step after step, you know, yeah, this is what I want, and I'm going to make every effort to get there. But then you got to be a realist. You know, I only have so many years left in my life. I may never achieve the goal, but I'm going to achieve. That's why you got to create milestones. And you got to stay busy. If you find yourself drinking, doing drugs, sleeping all day, you know, and just not getting out of your way of yourself, you know, you're, you're going to have increased uh, likelihood of, of, you know, of something very severe happening. You know, yeah. either doing it to yourself. So, I mean, I know that whatever's crawling around in you, you're a very busy guy. And if you ever took three weeks off and did nothing, then you realize you may have some issues. Sure. So we, we're always running from our issues. It's just good to create a path and then be able to adjust under fire if you need to. You know, this is what I want, but I'll settle for this. It's not about settling or being less than what you are. Just putting your, your effort forward every day and uh, not, not, not backing down. Not, it's okay to take a step back and, and analyze, well, what, why am I here? What do I really want to do? Am I okay with you know my current status? If, if you are, that's great. Get up and you know and do more. Like I'm okay with my martial arts status, even though I can't do half the things as good as I used to when I was in my 20s, 30s, 40s. I mean, I was a beast. I was a physical beast. Today, not so much. But no, but you still. I've still seen you in action, and I've seen you. Uh, you know, just demonstrate on guys more more than half, uh, less than half your age, I should say, and you are impressive. Which is interesting <laughs> because even though I don't have all of this, 
I'm still heading in the same path. I'm yeah. putting it in paper, writing it, you know, going through all that. Because, you know, you don't want to die with all your knowledge either. You want to pass it on. So for me, this is writing is a tool, you know, and, and if, if I could put into writing anything that would make martial arts a better place, you know, and you know, like it within the book, we talked, you, you mentioned earlier karate clubs and martial arts schools on every corner. And in the book, we talk about hucksters and this and that. You know, the thing yeah. about it is there, there are a lot of quality martial arts people in the world that never had a street fight. So what you're learning from them, it kind of stopped on what I call a, a mechanical or technical level. It doesn't delve deep into the psychological aspects of a real fight. And, you know, you read the book more than I have. <laughs> yeah, you need, you need that experience to really be able to articulate what you did. And you have a lot of our experience. It's just like... um you know, I've been, I, I'm very novice when it comes to firearms, but I've, I've learned from different people here and there. And there's definitely a difference between learning firearms from someone who's actually been in a firefight, had to kick down doors, as opposed to like, I remember I took some uh, lessons from an NRA guy who was, you know, some like out of shape fat guy. And he was, he was able to shoot. But when he started saying, oh, if you ever have to, uh, you're in a situation where you have to start kicking down doors. And it's like, I know this guy was never in the military. I, I know he's never been in that scenario. So how does he know what to do? As a, yeah, because you gotta have, you gotta be able to convey that experience yeah, to me. I mean, we I had a team sergeant many many years ago, right? Dirty Joe Walker. He spent uh, eight years in Vietnam, and uh, we'd go up, when when other people would have a day off. We knew that the ranges were free, so he'd make us work. We'd be on the range day and night working. Now he had a thing called DIP. That's an acronym for Dying Place. It's a completely surrounded, overrun. How do you you know, in route, you're setting up your rally points in case you get compromised. You got to sit there. If it doesn't work, you got another rally point. You know, a way to get out. Like you're in a firefight. You know, you, you, you're in a low crawl to a duck crawl to fire maneuver. You know, who's throwing the smoke? Who's throwing the flashbangs and the grenades? Who's laying down a base of fire? And so you can actually get away from it. They're down in place. But, you know, in, in a when he would shoot, he just load a bunch of uh, uh, tracer rounds, and, and the army says uh, every third round or every fifth round is a tracer, so you can see where it's going, and you can tell when you're running out of ammo, right? Well, Joe, that stuff heats up the barrel; it melts the barrel. You ever see these uh, clips from firefights at night where it looks like rounds and bullets are just flinging all over the place? Okay. That's because the barrels are getting hot. They're not flying straight anymore a lot of time. And they're ricocheting off of them. So, you know, when that barrel melts, you got to get another one, right? So people say, you know, why do you put all tracer rounds instead of every third one, like Doctor says? Eight years in Vietnam, he says, when people are trying to shoot and someone's shooting back, very seldom are they looking, you know, straight over the uh, sights. They're more doing like this over their head than they don't want to get killed. He says, when, you, when you're firing all trace rounds, you can just walk them right in on your target, put their head down, you know exactly where you shoot, and so forth and so on. I might elaborate more, but I think what I'm driving at is what you just said, the experience is your teacher, you know. You'll learn a lot more from that 
that psychological aspect. And I do have some training tips in here for how to how to create those toolboxes to to make that better, make it happen. And it's in the environmental part of the toolbox. Absolutely. Well, one thing I have to say about you, and and I think people will hear it when they listen to this interview, is that. A lot of guys your age, they're kind of like they've tapped out at this point with new ideas and and having new purpose. And I think for you, when you talk about new purpose, it's something that you truly live. Like for the past, you know, nearly 10 years that I've known you, you always have a new idea, whether it's that you want to write a new book, that you want to train a new fighter, that, you know, you want to start working on new ideas. new new weapons that you've designed. There's always something that that you're brewing. And I think it's like kept you, kept you young, really, no matter what your age is. I feel like you have the mentality of a much younger guy. Well, I'm still brewing. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I recently was changing, uh, training a TV personality, uh, Jamie Geyer, G-E-Y-E-R. Okay. uh, Been on uh, a couple of shows like uh, Law and Order and stuff like that as a, just so she's constantly working, constantly training. Uh, and, and it's oddly enough, I met her through a third party, the, the retired colonel. And she says, you know, I'm doing all this work for being a, as an actress. I've had boxing lessons. I've had problem with God. I've had all these lessons. She says, but when I get in the movie, I feel like something's missing. She says, I want to learn from someone that's lived that life. And so he pointed her towards me and it just opened up her mind in a whole different way to make sure better actors are back so uh yeah it's uh i'm also working on uh launching uh, american extension fighting as a as a program eventually it's not going to be a it's not going to be a physical location underneath your apartment <laughs> or on every yeah, street yeah. corner it's going to be here worldwide uh that's cool and with traveling and outsourcing uh it's going to be, you know, 360 degree cameras. It's going to be nice. you know, a whole bunch of neat stuff. It's going to really get the word out now where we ultimately come in and we get our hands on you know, throughout the mission. So that's awesome. I'm excited to see it. So uh, early on the interview, I, we were talking about, you know, how this book goes from your early bar fights to the final bar fight which was at Applebee's. And I said, maybe we'll talk about that, um, which is just funny in itself. Like who gets into a fight at Applebee's besides you? It was uh, family night. Yep. Fam- family <laughs> night at Applebee's. So did you, did you know deep down inside that that was your last fight that you said, I'm done after this. I'm going to do everything I can to keep the peace. Because when was this? It was like mid two thousands. If I remember no, like correctly. The- About 2008, 2009. Okay. So probably, yeah, shortly before, uh, or actually, did I know you at the, no, probably shortly yeah. before I met you. So, yeah, yeah did, did you know, I mean, because it's been over a decade, nearly 15 years, did you did you say to yourself, I'm done with this life after that, or what? I had already said to myself at that point, it, it really caught me by surprise. I, I was trying to be a nice guy and play along, and all of a sudden, boom, and just, it's that immediate. It's the guy who kept effect. giving you shots, right? He kept giving you these different shots. He gave me one shot. I even warned him. I said, I tried to turn down the shot. I said, listen, whenever I have a shot of tequila, it always has a bad ending. And he kept nudging me and pushing me on and come on. Finally, I was like, well, I'm new in the area. I'll have a shot. 
is that'll keep you calm. So then he orders two double shots, and which we toasted to my military service. I went to take a drink. I set my glass down. He sat his down without drinking it. He pushed it in front of me. And I'm like, no, babe. I said, you, you got to hold up your end. And I pushed it back. I said, you got to do what you said. You got to drink one, too. And as soon as I did that, it just hit me right in the face. And, uh, of course, you know, I just planted. And I went to push him off because whenever I get hit, I always, you know, you hear me say, tuck, you know, a lot of fighter trainers say, tuck your chin. And when you tuck your chin, it kind of exposes your jaw. It doesn't feel right. What they mean is stiffen the back of your neck. You hear me say, boil your neck and pull your chin back. It's still tough. It's just not leaning your head back. So it gives you a different shell, right? More protection. So you just tuck it up and it, it protects you. So as soon as I got hit, that's just automatic. Trained that way my whole life. And it was so close on his barstool, I just started pushing. And I, you never close your eyes in a fight. That's crazy. Yeah. And I could see the front two legs coming off the ground. So I just caught him with an overhand right, which knocked him out in the chair. And then his head hit the floor, split his skull open. Uh, <laughs> the only reason I got didn't get in any trouble, the police came and reviewed the security cameras. And uh, they said, looks like he hit you once, and you hit him once, and that's it. That's it. When I was younger, I'd have hit him like I'd have stomped on him, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, it's been a lot of different situations. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another another thing that's interesting now that you said uh, how he toasted you and said to our military service, just like you somehow have gotten in these scenarios with all these different fights. Another thing I feel like you've had a lot of encounters with are stolen valor guys throughout your time. Woo. Yeah, there's <laughs> a couple that uh, stay on my mind. Uh, one of them in particular because he's in the. Uh, my direct lineage within the American uh, martial arts system. And he went through this process of getting busted out. And then to my knowledge, he's still playing the same game. He's teaching law enforcement agents. He's got a, a tattoo on his arm of, uh, of uh, being a force recon Marine. His name's Keith English. What's uh, his name? Say it again. Keith <laughs> English. He lives down in Virginia. Okay. Yeah. And he's, Still wears the Force Recon tattoo, and he still markets it in business. He's a quality martial artist, but he ain't no Force Recon guy. But he makes money off of it. That 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 aggravates. You you heard it here first. I mean, how do you how do you know this guy is uh, full of shit? Well, I've liked him. I've known him for years, and we always got along. And uh, he, like I said, he's a quality martial artist. We've even uh, been in in a ballroom brawl he was close by when i got in it before you know uh, uh and i always thought very highly of him and i had never had a reason to uh question him i just believed him, you know go around going no you're going to show me you know no, I'm do that. yeah yeah and uh it was actually he teaches a lot of law enforcement and some others and uh, somebody did a little background and found out that it's all a lie and uh some of his main more advanced students uh, Dropped out, went to a friend of mine's academy, and uh, my uh, the guy that trained me to kickbox years ago. He's a little older than me, and hell, I knocked him out also. Wow! Uh, but he uh, 
try to make peace within the family. Oh, he's a good guy. He apologizes. He doesn't. I don't accept it. The only thing I would accept is for him to go public and say, I screwed up. I'm a poser. You know, I've been making money off you guys. I said that. I wouldn't forgive him, but I'd accept it. You know, I don't accept anything he does at this point. And I will acknowledge that he is a quality martial artist. You know, but, uh, he should just work on that. Stop telling this big lie. You know? Yo, why do you guy. why do you think there's so many guys out there who can't just uh, accept what background they come from and and just present themselves as who they are? Why do they have to do this thing where they either, in some cases, exaggerate service or just flat out make up service? Because I've I've encountered it in my time. I've I worked with a radio host who said he was a Marine, which I could get into another time. And and there's no background of him being a Marine. I mean, I think it's just like this machismo thing that guys feel like it's more manly to say that they served in the military. And and I get it. By the way, I get asked all the time because I work with all these guys like you. And, oh, what branch did you serve in? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't serve in anything. And, and, you know, there's no shame in that for me. It's a different life path that we took. I, I meet a lot of guys who say, Oh, it's the biggest regret I have in life that I didn't serve. I mean, I per I personally don't feel that way. You know, I I did what I did in radio and podcasting, and have have lived all different types of interesting experiences because of it. Um, I don't think you should live with regrets like that. But yes, I think some of these guys, rather than maybe living with regrets or being proud of what they did do, they have to exaggerate or make something up. And I see that you're putting up your. Yeah, I have my finger. We know you're. Oh, we know oh, you're I, legit, Jim. I have my finger over my uh, social security number up there. But Speaking you, of which, at you know, my former employer, didn't you put that on a table and I, I a guy that we know yeah. tweeted it out or something with your social security number? We yeah, were like, no, dude, yeah, yeah. take that off. But you know, you'll see that uh, I have two bronze stars of devices and some other stuff. In fact, I got a whole pile of stuff over here. You know. Yeah, I just I wonder what makes so many guys feel the need to to do that. I mean, it, it's I'm not become going away. Yeah, no, it's it's fine. It's it's become an epidemic though, I think, of of stolen valor, guys exaggerating service, guys making up service. We're we're seeing it all the time. There's YouTube channels devoted to it and yeah. St. John Schwarzkopf signature right there. Wow, wow. And that was for Desert Storm. Yeah. Yeah. For all those people that don't know, right? These are more accommodation medals for something similar. Sniper course, that's the one that I had to uh, eradicate the uh, social security number on. <laughs> yeah, cover cover. But I mean, I, I think people know that, that you're the real deal, Jim. Military that's free awesome. Right. Underwater operations course. Oh, it goes on. Look. No, I... I I know you, you've kept it all and, and you should be proud of it. I, I know that at one time you've, you've spoken about it before. There was one time where you weren't as proud of it and it, it took a while for you to get back to the way that you feel now and, and being proud of your service and what you've done. I don't know what attracts so many people to just flat out making up service, exaggerating service. I, I don't know what it is that drives people to do that. You know, I blame so much of the bullshit that, you know, these especially younger people and some older ones, you know, cause them to want to be more than what they are. Is There's just so much social media now, you know, and, and so much emphasis on 
you, you know, veterans and what we, you know, what they've been through and how we can help them. And, and you know, I hate to say it, but around uh, certain uh, holiday Thanksgiving and stuff like that, uh, like IHOPs or whatever, you know, these different restaurants, they'll, they'll give veterans a free meal. So they're homeless people that will actually steal uh, uniforms. They're not even correct out of, you know, like these gift shops or whatever, you know, and just wear them for free meal and tell all their lies. So to me, you know, there's not much difference between that guy and somebody who has no reason at all. You know, it's, it, it just, I, I'm with you. I don't fully understand it. Uh, I mean, it's okay to, if you're in the military to kind of blow things up a little bit, as long as you're not outright lying. No, like the people who weren't combat veterans saying they're combat veterans or, or actually the senator here in Connecticut, uh, Richard Blumenthal, the guy who didn't serve in Vietnam but called himself a Vietnam veteran. Yeah, that's that's next level as opposed to maybe embellishing a little bit in a book, which plenty of people have done. Yeah. I mean, you what were we saying, sir? I was going to say, if you're in a firefight with 30 other people or 10 other people, you can embellish because everybody's shooting and nobody really knows the end of the life. Yeah. I mean, Jack has gotten into that for sure with uh, who killed bin Laden. That's been a big, that's been a big story of who the real point man was. And I don't think we'll ever 100% officially know you could just take people at their word. Um, but yeah, the, the type of people it attracts, I'll just never get. I, I think of even the, uh, it's so crazy. The comedian, Steve Renazisi, uh, years ago said that he was there on 9-11 when it happened and and we and he lost people and then they found out years later that none of that was true i don't even think he was living in the state you know i just don't know what attracts people to make shit up like that i, I don't really get it i've always yeah you know, everybody has told a lie in their life i'm not gonna say i've never told a lot but anything to that to that extent i don't really know it attracts a certain type of sociopathic person i think someone trying to Yes. build a story for themselves that that sounds more interesting than it really is yeah it seems like after a while they tell it long enough to actually believe it you know? yeah yeah i, I think I that's mean, the case for some of these guys yeah i wasn't thinking about keith english until you you know brought up the poser aspect and i was thinking well you know i, I mean because he's when i when i give guy kudos and say he's a quality martial artist that means he's above that if you're that good, why on God's green earth do you have to tell that lie? You know? Yeah. Makes yeah, sense. no, and it, it's it's so disrespectful to people who have been there and done it and um and yeah, and who who should be proud of their service. Uh with that, once again, of course, guys, pick up the book or check out the audio book if you want to hear my voice on the audio it. Audio book is awesome. Thank you, man. Thank I, you. And, and it's because the you. book itself is awesome. And and I, I mean it truly was an honor to be to be asked. And it's it's an honor to call you a friend. It really is. It's an honor for me to call you a friend. You know, hopefully it's a lifelong thing, you know. I think Whether so. we see each other or not, because we got way world. We will. It's it's been a little bit. It's been over a year, but we'll we'll hang out soon. I mean, even though I'm in Connecticut, you're in Jersey, we'll find a day to meet in the city or something like that. It's so funny, I don't know who put the sample on the audible book, you know, the book sample. But I listened to it as soon as you know, you called me, I went on and listened for a while. It's it's almost like hearing a story about somebody else the way you read it is really good and, nice. but it sounded like a piece of a movie i'm like wow this is good y'all you did a great great job 
Well, that sounds like what you you're thinking of doing next from speaking with you, like maybe doing a movie based on your life, a movie based on the book. I know for you, there's always a new idea in mind. Well, uh, there's there's actually a screenplay that's already been written. Uh, <laughs> uh, takes about three point five million bucks to get it produced. Uh, it's quite a lot. It, it's about get get Elon Musk involved, bro. It, well, anybody listening, listen. But it was uh, a <laughs> yeah. But it was written by Scott Frank, who uh, is a two-time uh, Emmy Award-winning screenwriter. He did Wolverine, yeah. Logan, a whole bunch of other stuff. So I worked with him a little bit, and uh, he has a product. We just uh, got to reach out and find investors. But they want to make a screenplay, which leads to the movie. No, I'm looking forward to seeing that if it if it does happen. Um, and once again, for everybody, the book is a mind for the fight, an evolutionary mindset and systems focused approach towards a unified skill set for self-defense, street survival and combat sports excellence. Justin McCauley, who was on with us, was the co-writer. I know we have to have Justin's father on, who was uh, Delta Force. We spoke about that. That would be cool to do at some Justin's point. Dad. Yeah, they call him the count, you know, former Delta Force guy and all that. So we we got to do it. Yeah, we we got to do it. We'll definitely get him on at some point. There's just there's such a list of guys that we have to get on. It's it's hard to really keep up with them. And then Bob Wall, you mentioned, and and now it's too late to have Bob Wall on, and it sucks when when we hear that. But is there is there anything else you're promoting, Jim? Anything else you want to get out there? I know you don't do a whole lot of social media or any of that. No, the only thing I do right now is on Facebook. Is up. Maybe once a week, every two weeks, I'll write a couple of articles and put them out. Uh, I do just enough to stimulate people's uh, interest in furthering what they already know. Because it's all all can be validated and it's controversial enough. In many cases, it makes me want to ask questions. And uh, I think as long as we can keep the spark alive, we'll keep the door open for, you know, whether it be movies or whatever. So with your help and others, we'll just keep pushing. Yeah. yeah, we'll get it out there. So it's, it's is it Facebook, James Smokey West? Lord, I don't even know. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on a half a second, I'll tell you. Yeah, so you could send it over and, and we'll put it in the description or something. You know what, the last question I'm going to ask you, because I feel like anytime I speak with you, you're always up on an MMA. You always have the best UFC predictions. I'm sure you could I make a lot of money. Point. Yeah, you, you could make a lot of money. I don't know if you have betting on UFC because you seem to know exactly what's going to happen. You've made some great predictions in the past. Um, I feel like we're at a weird time where there aren't any new superstars. It's, you know, things aren't as exciting as they were maybe two years ago or five years ago. But who's coming up that, that excites you that you think is going to be big? Well, it's hard to say because a lot of us uh, have the media presents things. But I think if John Jones and Adesanya had a fight, Fight heavyweight to heavyweight group. I think that would be a barn burner of a fight, you know. Uh, who would who would win that though? You know, oddly enough, I put my money on John Jones. I think so too. Which would make a really good fight. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of people saying, uh, and I've seen on Twitter and stuff with him is that I know he's looking for a comeback, and people are looking at photos of him. And they've always accused him of being on something because he's been picked up for a picogram of this and a picogram of that. And people are saying it looks like he's dropped some weight, so he must not be juicing right been, now, people are thinking. Have you seen uh, Conor McGregor at 195? I've seen him at so many different weights. I don't remember exactly. Well, he's sure. all bulked up and stuff. Look, if yeah. you look him up, now, I'd like to see him jump in with uh, 
you know, Adesanya or somebody. You know? I feel like he's lost so many fights though recently that he's he's less exciting at this point as a guy as Adesanya who just keeps winning. But it's fun to watch him get beat. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll see what happens. But uh, you're always up on this type of thing. There's certain fighters I'll always watch. If it's a Jones fight, yeah. I'll check it out. I, and I, I don't know about you. I love watching um, Nate Diaz. He's he always makes oh, yeah, things exciting. I love the guy. You know. Yeah. <laughs> when I lose, he's he's going down. You know. Absolutely. Well, I, I guess that's it, man. Always great speaking with Jim. Uh, third appearance on the show. I think it's third. We'll definitely do it again at some point. Um, but yeah, if, if you're listening, because I, I know like 90% of you guys are listening on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts. If you're not watching, go over to YouTube and subscribe to us because we're doing full video now on YouTube, um, Battleline Podcast. And that's it, unless you have any other uh, any other thoughts, Jim. I will get this podcast uh, out to the martial arts community and uh, also to Justin's dad. I'm excited for it. Yeah, and, and and we'll have him on at some point. He is on the list, but the list is also about like 100 people at this point. Yeah, people sure. we need to get on. It really is, you know. No, I want to get Dell Comstock back on. I want to get Jack Murphy on a third time. There, there's just so many people. And and also like Top Gun coming out this month. I'm working on getting someone from Top Gun on. Come Who knows? On. Tom Cruise. That would be awesome. Yeah, that, yeah that'd be awesome. <laughs> it would be cool. Are you, are you going to go see the new Top Gun? Oh, yeah, I love the movie. I've probably watched a person 15 times already, you know. When I get bored and run out of things to do, I, I've got a little couple, two or three movies I've got my go-to. That's one of them. I just enjoy the movie. Yeah, I, I hope it lives up to what we're hoping for. Yeah, I always told myself if I could go back in time and not drop out of school to join the military and finish my education, what would I really be today? God. You know, if I could do things again, and it would be a fast-moving fighter pilot. You know, if you can imagine five, six hundred miles an hour dogfight, you know, that's got to be you know, the best rush in the world. Well, it's it's interesting you say that because have you ever gone to that uh, Memorial Day Air Show at Jones Beach or any of those air shows? I've been to a few, but not there. Yeah, down south. I go to those every year. I'll be there on Memorial Day actually, if you want to come. But it, it is such an event. I mean, I went last year. And the crazy thing for me is that it was the weather sucked that day. It was cloudy, it was windy, and yet these guys are just you know a foot apart in the air doing all these stunts, yeah, and I just amazing. it's unbelievable yeah. to watch. No, I agree. It's totally amazing. There is a guy, and I have to look his name up for you. I can't do it right here right now. He's the original. Uh, I don't know if he passed or not, but if he's still alive, he's a he's a guy that made the movie about it. I have a friend that knows him. Let me know if you want to come out because it'll be Memorial Day at Jones Beach. And I know this year it's the Blue Angels. It's usually the uh, Air Force Thunderbirds, but I will absolutely be in attendance. That I cannot miss. I'll let you know, sir. Awesome. Well, thanks as always, Jim. Ian, thanks for having me, man. It was was great. Absolutely. Talk to you later.
That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battleline Podcast and on Twitter at Battleline Pod. To sign up for future Battleline tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.